Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here on a Monday morning. We are actually recording this on a Monday morning. So if it comes out a little bit later than normal, we apologize. But uh, as Scott mentioned previously, he was doing some hunting over the weekend. And we had some travel uh, change of plans here. So we're recording early on Monday. So you're getting it totally live, totally fresh takes here. We've had a couple day, a day and a half now to kind of chew on the loss. And hopefully that makes us a little bit more level-headed here today. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Scott, uh, we'll start on a, I don't know, possibly positive or maybe an even more negative. Maybe you don't want to talk about it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the game, obviously, but how was the hunting? Well, we had great weather. Um, so that's a plus and like it was great to be out there, but no, it was, uh, it was an unsuccessful hunt this year. There was a full moon all night. The deer, uh, were not stirring during the day much saw a couple, but, uh, no luck. My brother was a little luckier. He got one, but, uh, yeah, it, but it was nice. It was nice to be back in the state of Michigan. Uh, get out there. Like I said, we had great weather, just get out and, uh, decompress a little bit. So happy I made it out there. Happy. I had a worthy distraction from, um, what we all saw on Saturday, I headed out to the stand about midway through the second quarter. I said, all right, that's enough of that. Let's, uh, let's go find something else to do. So was definitely happy to have that distraction and, uh, yeah, all in all, it was still a good time. Yeah. And, and we'll look, we'll, we'll talk about the game, but we're, we're going to focus more big picture here today because, I think we all watch the game. We know what happens. You know, we're not going to really bring a whole lot of analysis that you didn't know. You you watched it with your eyes. There's some games that just don't need to be analyzed. (laughs) This is one of them. We all saw it. We all know what happened. Um, And, and I want to make something pretty clear too. This is my opinion, at least Sky. You can tell me if you agree or disagree. I, I want to make it clear. This was a, horrendously embarrassing loss for Michigan state. This was, you know, there, there's certain losses where you can excuse it and just say like, ah, well, that's Ohio state. They're a buzzsaw. And to a certain degree, I agree with that. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about it here today. Like the big picture stuff coming out of it, but the reality is it, it can't be that bad. It, it can't be that bad. It can't be 49 to nothing at halftime 
on national TV. That, that just can't happen. So it's some of the things we're going to talk about are going to sound like maybe not excuses or, or excusing the loss, but it's going to, you know, basically be focused on, well, we played a team that was far more talented that it, everything went right for them. Right. It was just one where sometimes the, the blue bloods, the elites, the, whatever you want to call them, the halves of college football, there are haves and have nots. And, and the reality is sometimes when the halves are clicking, there is nothing you can do. The, the analogy for me in this game was, you know, there's, there's like a famous clip from an Indiana Jones movie. And there's the one guy who's making this big show, swinging his sword around, preparing for his battle. And Indiana Jones just calmly pulls the gun out of his holster, clicks it, shoots him in the chest and moves on with his day. That was Ohio State, Michigan State. And it works on a couple levels because, well, it was just that easy for them. But two, it's like there's certain times, there's certain games, there's certain matchups where the only thing you can do is hope that he's a little slow to the draw on the gun or that, you know, there's something wrong with the gun. There's a manufacturing problem with the gun. But the reality was on Saturday, we had a sword and Ohio State had a gun. And that gun was working perfectly and, and properly. And they had absolutely no trouble uh, with, with Michigan State on Saturday. But the, the reality is it was an embarrassment and it was horrible. And, and the coaching staff has to answer for how bad that was. And the players have to answer for how bad it was. I can excuse losing to Ohio State. I can't excuse 49 to nothing at halftime. That's, that's just, that's too much. That's, that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, you look at their schedule, Tulsa hold, held up better. I mean, Akron was basically the same score. Um, you know, Minnesota took them to two scores. Rutgers put up 13 points. Nebraska held them to nine-point game. I mean, sure, they won all those games. But, yeah, I, I, there's not much to say about how bad that was. I mean, it was we were outclassed in every way. Certainly there were things that were playing against us. We were, you know, Kenneth Walker was banged up. Jaden Reed played less than half the game. Naylor was out. We had plenty of other significant injuries, but, but if you're a top 10 team, you got to be able to hold up better than that. If you're a top 25 team, if you're a top half of a power five conference team at all, you got to be able to hold up better than that. I mean, it was completely effortless. It looked like practice reps against, statues yeah the, to, be, to be frank the last time i remember something this bad it was a game i was in attendance for i was at the capital one bowl against alabama this was not the the most recent alabama matchup i think that one was a lot closer if everybody remembers it um the the first matchup with alabama back in 2011 we were down in florida i was there with my Spartan gear on, getting ready to to have our guys take on Alabama, who won the national championship the year before and the year after, who were led by Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Julio Jones on offense. Their entire defense went to the NFL. They beat us 49 to 7. Kirk Cousins was buried six feet deep in that stadium with how many sacks he took. It um, that was the last time I remember anything close to this, but 49 nothing at halftime, man. I we'll get into some of the stuff. Like I said, uh, it was, it was terrible. And you know, the we're Michigan state people, we're Michigan state fans. I grew up around this program and 
you could see the newspaper headlines coming from a mile away after this one. Well, how about that contract extension now, little brother? Like all of that stuff. And I know it's really frustrating. And for anybody who follows Dan Leach on 97.1 or formerly, I don't know if he still works there even. It's, it's insufferable Michigan fans right now. And the media is piling on. But I do have some audio that I'm going to play here coming out of the ad read that I think is is a real it's a national program for anybody who listens out there. Josh Pate. It's the late kick with Josh Pate. It's a CBS uh, podcast, YouTube show. And I thought he had a very just rational take on this game for Michigan State. I'm going to play that coming out of the read. It's about a minute. And uh, hopefully for everybody who gets a little discouraged by college football media, there are a couple good ones out there who get it. So uh, before we get to that, though, I got to got to give our friends from DraftKings a shout out. The weekend of NFL is behind us, except for Monday night is still available. So new customers who bet just one dollar on either team to score can win one hundred dollars in free bets tonight, Monday night football or even next week uh, for the regular NFL slate. They are an official betting partner of the NFL. If the sports book isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving away all new customers free shots at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we are a proud member. Bet just $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. I want to, I want to play this audio, Scott. I don't know if you've heard this and uh, I want to get your take on this. Uh, but I, I thought it was, it was a well-reasoned rational take here by uh, a national voice in the sport of college football, Josh Pate of the late kick with Josh Pate. So here it is. Four. Yesterday's loss sets them back to nine and two, sets them back to nine and two. So I heard some of you say, Oh, I knew they were fraudulent all along. What in the world are you talking about? Fraudulent? They've hit the over by, what, five games or six games or something like that. They're not fraudulent. It's just the fact that because they've been such an overachiever, then they got lofted up into a stratosphere they probably didn't belong in quite yet. You know, when we power rate them, for example, I haven't had them higher than 15. But if you're ranking them in playoff terms, of course you had to have them up in the top 10. They had earned that. This is not a fraudulent team. Uh, it's one of the best stories in college football this year. They ran into a buzzsaw. I would ask you this. If you think that team yesterday was fraudulent. There you go. He goes on to talk about, like, basically, if if you put Nick Saban on the sideline yesterday, it's not changing the whole the result a whole lot. So, Scott, I don't know if you've, if you've heard that audio, if you listened to Josh Pate, but I, I don't know. First thoughts, first impressions. Do you agree, disagree? Where are you at with that? No, I think it's perfect. I think um, lost in this season is the fact that we were – by a lot of national or regional conference talking heads, we were expected to win maybe three to five, maybe six games. If you had someone going out on a limb Um, and we already won nine. And I agree. I mean, I think looking at this team, 
did I did did we really think you know it didn't have holes to the degree that we were legitimately a top five seven team? No, I think most rational MSU fans knew that you know we had overachieved in some games and we're probably playing out of our weight class a little bit. And uh, and like he said, we earned it. We earned the right to be up there. But I I mean we knew we had holes. You're not going to go to the college football playoff with the worst pass defense in the country. Um, and and this game it it gave us kind of a, a very clear look at where the holes are and where we need to focus on improving. And Mel Tucker mentioned a lot of those things in his press conference, most notably just the level of talent. Um, but yeah, I think this team is way ahead of schedule still. And, you know, before we started recording, I said to you, I said, you know, a year ago, six months ago, a month ago, maybe even a week ago, we all kind of knew some version of this was probably the most likely scenario, maybe not to the degree that we lost, but we all probably deep down kind of expected a loss in this game. It just hurts more when you're watching it happen. But um, before the season, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody of any uh, significance in the sports world picking Michigan State to win this game. And the fact that we came into this game with any fleeting hope um, is the reason it hurts a little bit more. But I'd rather be here than, you know, some five and five team who lost 28 to 20 and maybe gave them a little bit of a scare, but the whole season's been been tough to get through i mean we yeah it, it hurts now but we all kind of knew uh where we were at this gives like i said gives us a great look at, at where we need to keep improving and uh you just got to take your lumps sometimes yeah and they, like i said i mean when ohio state is rolling and that's what we've seen the last two weeks there's very little anybody in the country can do about it. And obviously it shouldn't be 56 to seven. It shouldn't be 49 to nothing at halftime. You would like to think that, you know, Ohio state firing on all cylinders, you can still make it a 42 to 28 game or something like that. But the reality is this was the first time that we've seen Ohio state offensively and defensively really just firing on all cylinders and and there's not not a whole lot most teams in the country can do about that especially when you are in the second year of your coaching tenure when you're inheriting a roster that we've we've talked about how many times how just little talent there was little high-end talent there was on this roster that Mel Tucker took over from Mark D'Antonio and you patch it together the best you can through the transfer portal and through one recruiting class. But we're in year two of this thing. Ryan day is on what year four of this thing and took it directly over from urban Meyer who he worked under. So it, it was really just a passing of the baton. There was really no changes. So this, this Ohio state machine has been rolling for, for a decade now. Um, and, and even longer, obviously, but, but this version of Ohio state, this offensive juggernaut version, it's been rolling for a long time now with the same system, with the same type of guys. So, um, we're a long way away from that. And, and you, you referred to Mel Tucker's comments, which we'll get to in a, in a moment here. I think they were really telling of, of what he thinks about this team and the future, but I want to rip off the bandaid here. It's. I, we got to talk about this game. We'll talk about the game for 10 minutes. I hope even less. I, like I said, everybody watched it. Everybody knows what happened here. We're not going to bring too much hard hitting X's and O's analysis that you didn't see with your own two eyes. So um, 
some of the stats, I mean, in the first half, Ohio State, I'll, I'll read from both sides. So Ohio State, 26 first downs, 500 yards of offense, 10.2 yards per play, 10.2 yards per play. They had two third downs the whole first half. They converted both of them for the record. Two third downs on, I think it was 49 plays. Michigan State, seven first downs, 116 yards, 3.13 yards per play, four for 10 on third downs. This was the largest margin of victory for a top seven matchup since 1945. Ohio State was literally, not ah, literally, they were literally on pace for 98 points and a thousand yards. It was as big of an ass kicking as I can ever remember seeing. And if, if you were pulling up the score tracking app or whatever your ESPN, CBS, whatever your, your choice is, Michigan State, Ohio State was pretty much score for score, the same as Georgia versus Charleston Southern. It, it was the worst ass kicking I've seen in, in a long, long time. The last stat that I, I pulled out here is that if you total combine our top three receivers for the game, Trey Mosley, Tyler Hunt, Jaden Reed, you combine their receiving yards. It is less than Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was Ohio State's third leading receiver for the game. I, I don't know how many more stats we need to get into. Um, Scott, I, my first question in, in getting into this game a little bit is, is I want you to try to answer honestly. It's a complete and total hypothetical. If Ohio State kept the foot on the gas, kept the starters in the game, kept running their full playbook, what would the, what would the final score be? Uh, ninety would they, to nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was good, like, would they hit eighty? I mean, seventy is inevitable. Would they hit eighty? Would they hit ninety? Like, at, at a certain I, point, pride has to kick in. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, Mel ten Tucker, yards of like, play. There was nothing we were doing that no, even there resembled was, stopping them, slowing them down. Nothing. I. We'll get into the defensive scheme a little bit because I think there's a lot of talk about it. And obviously when, when a scheme gets exposed that bad, you got to kind of scratch your head and say, you know, what are we even doing here? But it didn't really matter. I mean, we were playing cover three, we'd go to zone and we'd drop our corners. We'd give them a 15 yard cushion and they would just throw it to the sticks. And if we made our tackle, they got 12 yards. And if we didn't, they got 30 or, they just run it up the seams on cover three or down the center on cover two and just bomb a touchdown over our heads. And I don't know what, I mean, you could tell we were grasping at straws to try to find something in the playbook that would slow them down and maybe get us to third down, but it was not working. I mean, they, they literally did everything, everything they wanted to. The, yeah, the that, that, expression the gets, were that expression 12. gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, they did anything they want. Literally anything that the play caller designs. All right. This play is supposed to go for 15 yards. We're going to run a little comeback just to get the first down. They did it. If they wanted to run, they moved the chains. If they wanted to throw a deep shot, they hit the deep shot. Everything he designed worked perfectly. 
Yeah, their first half drives, 12-play touchdown, 4-play touchdown, 4-play touchdown, 6-play touchdown, 6-play touchdown, 6-play touchdown, 10-play touchdown, and then they took a knee at the end of the half. I mean, these aren't even long drives. The only thing that stopped them was time. (laughs) Yeah, and and the fact that we were were not even getting to third downs, we literally, literally could not get off the field. I mean, this isn't like, oh, we missed the opportunities. No, we didn't even give ourselves any opportunities to get off the field. It's not like we were playing risky to try to get a turnover or a sack or something. We were playing like our base zone defense and trying to slow them down, keep everything in front of you. And they were just blitzing right by our safeties. So that there was a lot on both sides of it. I mean, was that frustrating for you as, as somebody who, you know, we quote unquote, cover the team and follow this thing. Like we talked about before the game, your only shot is to go down swing in here, bring the blitzes, bring different, mix up your coverages, mix up your pressures. Like, the reality is that none, nothing we would have done would have kept us even close in this game, let alone tried to win it. But there were some coaching choices and decisions that were pretty controversial. And I think really frustrating to a lot of people, whether it was kicking a field goal, whether it was punting when we could have gone for it, whether it was sticking to a, a simple base defense and not trying to bring some pressure like how frustrating was that for you? Or were you just on the side that like, doesn't really matter anyway, whatever, let's just warm up the buses and get out of here. No, it was, it was frustrating. I mean, it was midway through the first half. We were clearly things were already getting out of hand, right? 21, nothing, 28, nothing, something like that. And we had our starters on the field and so did they, and we ran cover three and you know, there's one play sticking in my head, but it was certainly not the only one like this where, you know, Ohio state had the ball in the middle of the field. They snap it. We bail our corners 15 yards off the ball. Their receiver just runs a a 10 yard hitch and just stands there. And CJ just makes an easy throw over catches it. Bob's out of bounds for a 13 yard gain. It's like, what, what's the plan here? Like what, where was the how is that play ever going to result in anything other than what we just saw um and there was an air in this game and i didn't rewatch it so there's game day emotions maybe kind of getting in the way of my thought process here but it had an air of you know I, i'm in sales in in my career in my main career and sometimes you go into a meeting and after the first couple interactions you just know you're like all right this one's not going to work and certainly that game felt like this but it felt like the coordinators and the coaching staff and the way that we approached that game they just kind of packed it in after the first quarter they're like well nope not our day so back to the drawing board let's just get get through this and to an extent i'm sure that's you know damage control don't you know, try to keep it from being too embarrassing although it didn't work but it did feel very early in this game like the way that we were approaching the game, calling plays and everything was kind of just like, all right, shut it down. You know, we'll get to the film as soon as we can. And that kind of bothered me a little bit because you could see the players adopting that mentality as well. It's like, well, these play calls are all, you know, just designed to, to not get too embarrassed. And on the offensive side, it was kind of similar, you know, taking starters out really early. And that kind of bothered me, right? Like at least, at least go down swinging for the, the entire first half and it felt to me I don't know if you had the same impression it felt to me like we were ready to pack it up and and get out of there you know 
maybe in the second quarter, if not by the end of the first quarter. Yeah, it it was frustrating. I think the I wrote it down. I mean, the the field goal attempt we had in the first quarter, I wrote it. I mean, there's no way to prove this. I wrote it down before we lined up to kick it. I'm like, I don't care if it's fourth and 10. You have to you have to score touchdowns. And there's it. You know, the kicking situation, first of all. So if you're going to say, all right, we got a 50 50 shot of making this field goal. You probably got a 50-50 shot of getting a first down on fourth and 10. I mean, at that point, uh, Peyton Thorne was driving pretty well. We had converted a couple third downs. Like, he put a, a couple tight spots onto Jaden Reed, and we came down with it. Like, again, none of this would have mattered, but it, it's it was just kind of playing to not get embarrassed, like you said. And I think at a certain point, it was just there was a fourth and four in our own territory that we decided to punt it early in the game. Uh, it was early second quarter. I don't remember exactly, but I wrote it down in my notes here at the early in the second quarter. And I know you're in your own territory, but it's fourth and four. You're already down 28, nothing or whatever it is. Like, just go for it. I, what do you have to lose? I, and I think from the coaching staff's point of view, it was, you know, all right, if we get out of here, losing 38 to seven, it is what it is. Right. I, I I think in calling those plays, the point was for it not to get to 56 to seven. Um, unfortunately, it kind of backfired on them. But unlike a human level, I understand it. I was just really frustrated by it as well. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad you were in the same boat there. But yeah, it, it was the, the decisions were frustrating. Again, it, was, it wouldn't have mattered. I wrote down here, it was the Garrett Wilson touchdown. So that was the second, maybe third touchdown of the game. I just wrote lights out, start the bus. <laughs> it, was, it was over. There's not anybody watching that game knew at that point, it was mid to late third, first quarter and the game was over. And, you know, you're just kind of trying to do some damage control. And again, I get it, but as the coach, you have to be the one to, to set the tone and say, Hey, we're coming here. I don't care what the score is. I don't care who's on the other side. I don't care what jerseys they're, they're wearing. We're coming and playing to win. And it just didn't seem like that was the case. And, and that was frustrating for sure. Yeah. I mean, and you look at how this game spiraled, you know, that missed field goal drive. That was the, play after Jaden Reed was making an effort play had the first down got the ball knocked out there's definitely a fumble um that they turned into a uh incompletion kind of yeah, miraculously yeah. but the fumble would have ended up being better for us and field position wise but I I digress that was 14 nothing it felt like we were moving Jaden Reed makes that play doesn't lose the ball we've got the ball in the red zone you score a touchdown there it's 14-7 the entire game's different um would have been the same win loss result, but I it's think kinda, that's you remember with the the college football playoff against Alabama. You know, if if we don't throw that interception at the end of the first half, do we lose the game? Yeah, probably, but it's not thirty nine nothing. It's maybe thirty five to twenty one or something. Like it, it's right. just there are these there are these certain turning points in games where it goes from a loss to a blowout, and yeah, that right. that kind of felt like that moment. And then you had, I mean, they get the ball back in pretty good field position and four plays touchdown. We come back out immediate, almost immediately, five plays later, you've got the uh, Jordan Simmons fumble and it, yeah. I mean, that first quarter was, 
it was the worst quarter of football I've ever seen in a competitive game of football. Um, and it's not really very close. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's discouraging. Obviously you can't blame a player for getting down in that situation, but would have liked to see a little bit better messaging from the coaching staff and the way that they approached the situation they were in. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's easy to say that from here, uh, things weren't going right. And there was no, there was no page in the playbook to flip to once we were in that situation. And it is what it is. Uh, as far as, you know, what sucked too, is I was one of the, the, the faithful, right. I, I watched every snap of the game. Uh, because in the second half I, I was kind of like, all right, well, you know, we're going to get some of these young guys in here and Ohio state's going to be playing backups. So, you know, it's, they'll be put in a position that isn't too overwhelming maybe. Um, and I was hoping, you know, Hey, we're going to see some flashes from maybe some of the young guys. We haven't seen a whole lot this year. And we'll talk about one guy in particular who flashed pretty positively, but most of the other ones, it was just kind of the same deal. Like I saw Ma'a Nauteote get there in the third quarter. I mean, he was just getting beat like a rug out there. It was the the first obvious one. There was a read option by Ohio State's backup quarterback. And he he just he missed the tackle by a mile. Uh he was he was out of position a couple of times. I saw him in there with Harvey which I actually thought would be a, maybe a better fit because I'm like, okay, Harvey will be able to kind of help him out in getting him lined up correctly with his experience. But it just, it didn't look great uh, for Nauteote in his first like extended game action. I know he's, he's seen the field a couple times throughout the year, but this was the first time he was getting in there for like a full quarter of play. And it, it, it was pretty ugly at times. Um, you know, I, I know you want to talk about this, this too, but I guess if, if we're going to try to find one singular positive from this game, uh, the Keon Coleman sighting, it was, it was there. The bat symbol went up in the sky and Keon Coleman delivered a touchdown for us to, to save the shutout first and foremost and, and get his first career uh, points on the board. So what did you see from Keon Coleman there? Is this something that a Spartan fan should be tuned into? Yeah. I mean, obviously a lot's been made of Keon Coleman in an exciting prospect to follow player to follow obviously the dual sport aspect which we still have to see if if anything will come of that but nonetheless an exciting football player uh we've been waiting to kind of see him get real meaningful snaps and unfortunately the reason it happened was because (laughs) Jaden Reed is now hurt as well and it wasn't meaningful because they were almost up by 50 by that point but he looked good um, and I know he was going up against not Ohio State's first string, but may, make no mistake, Ohio State's second, third string guys are still very talented football players. Um, and that catch was exceptional. Uh, he It wasn't the best throw. It, if he puts that over his shoulder, onto the back shoulder, that's a, a much easier catch to make. But he put it kind of front shoulder behind the DB. And Keon Coleman, he was looking around one side, around the right side of the of the corner that was covering him and threw his hands out to the left side, brought it in. Um, tough catch and shows his ball skills. I think I saw a tweet uh, during the game or after the game asking, you know, kind of like if Keon Coleman was – ready to go why why didn't he take over when Naylor was hurt and I think he's he's more of that outside kind of possession ball skills wide receiver one prototype and that's why you saw him fill in for Jaden Reed and not Jalen Naylor um 
it's not enough of a sample size to draw any conclusions, but it's certainly encouraging, obviously, to see him out there making plays. And he looks to fit the part. I mean, this is a true freshman. This is a guy that's had, you know, half a year of, of strength and conditioning and, and being in the scheme. And he's rolling out there against one of the best teams in the country and, and making a couple plays. And it wasn't his only catch either. I think he had ended the three, game with three, three catches, catches, 27 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. So, I mean, by the standards of our team, that's a pretty darn good day. Uh, the, this past Saturday, second or third in uh, receiving yards, Trey Mosley had that one long catch. Um, but as far as our receiving core, that's just about as good a day as anybody had. Um, and I and, saw, yeah, I saw a bunch of people extrapolating on Twitter that, you know, this, this was the launching point to Keon Coleman being a first team all big, like slow the roll chill. a little bit, guys. <laughs> Again, <laughs> on the season that brings his total to five catches for 30 yards. Like let's, let's take a step back here. Like you said, it was against backups. It was. I just, I don't want to be the, you know, the Debbie Downer in the room, but I try to be the voice of reason oftentimes. And this is one of those situations where I think the situation definitely calls for a voice of reason. The the game was totally out of hand. He got in there and it was, um, it was a nice catch. Like you said, it was a great play and it was a flash of potential. And yep. at this point, that's, that's where we're at with Keon Coleman. It's potential. And hopefully he realizes that potential, but there's a long way to go before we start talking about, you know, all big 10 teams and stuff like that. Let's, let's just get in the starting lineup first, right? Let's yeah. The next, the next, let's make sure we have the playbook down. Let's make sure everything's, everything's coming together there. If Jaden Reed goes to the next level this off season, which I think is a question mark right now, if he leaves the next question for Keon Coleman is, will he be a starter next year? Right. Which would still be an exceptional accomplishment for, I think he'd be a red shirt. I don't think he played enough games to burn his red shirt this year. We'd have to go back and look well, at the snaps. The other thing too, is now Jaden Reed, if he's out for Penn state, Keon Coleman will definitely play against Penn state, which it would definitely be his fourth game with a catch. So it would have meant that he would have played in four games, uh, which right. I think so it'll be close, but I think is the limit, right? It's you can you... play four. Yep. So I, I don't know if he got off the top of my head, if he got snaps in any of those other games that he didn't get a catch, but that would be at least four for sure. Yeah. In any case, um, he's clearly the further along than you'd expect a true freshman to be at that position and in our wide receiver which has a lot of competition yeah and especially in the context which is what we talked about all offseason with Keon Coleman is that he's coming from like division seven catholic school in Louisiana where he's going against five foot five corners who run a five six forty like the whole thing with Keon Coleman was holy hell this guy's athletic this guy can make plays but he had a touchdown, like one out of every two catches in high school, because there was no competition down there for him. And so that was the whole thing with him. Like he is, it's going to take a while for him to get adjusted to the, to the skill level going across from him, figure out how to get off the line of scrimmage against press against a good defensive back, how to read it, you know, like all of these things were things he had never dealt with once in his life leading up to, to fall camp. Right. And so, yeah, for him to be this advanced to where we feel comfortable putting him in um, is, is pretty special. So hopefully that, that all gets realized and, and he becomes what we think he can. So, yeah. And uh, 
on the other side of the ball, I think someone who stuck out again was Darius Snow, redshirt freshman. Um, really the only guy that was jumping off the, the TV screen for me uh, in, in green and white the whole the whole day. I mean, nobody else really did anything that stuck out to me uh, other than that Keon Coleman touchdown. Darius Snow seemed to be around the ball a whole lot, and you look at the stats, 16 total tackles, 13 solo tackles, and a tackle for loss. He did have himself a, a great game. Xavier Henderson went down midway through the game with an injury, ended up in street clothes. I don't remember exactly when in the game, but it did happen. And, and Darius Snow filled in at that box safety position, which we had been talking recently on one of the previous episodes about whether Snow would stay at nickel or move to that spot. It does look like he is the number two there and they would like to play him there. So I think going yeah, into Dowell next year, that's played a lot of that nickel spot. Yep. So I think Darius Snow is in line to be the next Xavier Henderson at that safety position that we've had a lot of talent at the last few years. And I think he, he continues to look like a guy who's going to fill those shoes well. So that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, no, I'll echo that. I think he, I, I don't want to say like played well, but he, he, he played okay. Um, he had some tackles uh, in open space that were pretty solid. Um, not a whole lot you can do. Um, so let's, I'm just going to fire these off real quick because I don't think they're worth spending a whole lot of time on. Uh, play of the game was the Keon Cole t- Coleman touchdown and player of the game. I'm going to go with Keon Coleman because it's fun. And that's all I got. <laughs> all right. I was going to throw Darius snow in there for player of the game, uh, just because he made the most plays of anyone. What he had some, he missed as well, but everybody did. So, and yeah, my play of the game, Keon Coleman, only guy who got his points on the board, only real kind of highlight at all. I mean, you get the Trey mostly long catch, maybe a couple good runs, but I think Keon Coleman's the only one that's going to, maybe anyone's going to remember from this game. Um, kind of sad because if Keon Coleman ends up having a great career and you look back at his first career touchdown catch, it's going (laughs) to maybe give you a little bit of PTSD from, from this past Saturday. But um, in any case, great to see him, like we said earlier, coming into his own and uh, starting to make a couple plays here and there. So that's, uh, that's the game, the worst game maybe in our life. Probably, man, probably. I, I hope so. Big picture is is where we want to bring this thing I and mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier too but what does this mean right we've we've seen michigan state play bad teams perform pretty well we've seen us play pretty good teams perform pretty well beat michigan beat miami right on the road uh there, there's been some good wins and now we've seen us play an elite team and it was as ugly as ugly could get so what does that mean? You know, we're in year two of the coaching staff and all of the arrows to this point have, have been pointed straight up. Every, everything's going well. The wins and losses are, are moving up the rankings. You know, we're uh, in, in terms of recruiting this 2022 class, as I pull it up right now, according to the 24 seven composite is ranked 18th in the country. Um, which is certainly better than we've been doing the last couple of years. The arrows are all pointing up, right? So, in in the context of we just lost by 49 points what does this mean and again what i just want to mention it like it's so frustrating hearing the well the optics of this i saw dan wetzel of course writing about it the optics of the contract the contract extension had nothing to do with a single game performance. And we all know that as Michigan state people, but it's frustrating. I had to get it off my chest. 
what does this game mean? And, and I know there were some recruiting comments by Mel Tucker that you can take it a couple different ways, depending on your perspective. Um, we know we need to get more talent in the building. And we talked about live, live, live as, as we got the update um, that with that extension, Michigan state wants to be one of the big boys. We're playing, paying our coach, like one of the big boys, which means we want to be one of the big boys. We want to be Ohio state. We want to be Oregon. We want to be Alabama. And, and maybe that's realistic. Maybe it's not, but that's, that's the story that you write when you pay your coach damn near $10 million a year for 10 years. So where do we go from here? And, and Mel Tucker had some really interesting comments following the game, basically, you know, paraphrasing and saying, well, recruiting is the way that we're going to close the gap. We didn't have enough depth. We didn't have enough guys who can win one-on-one. And, and recruiting has, has been an ethos of his from day one. And he, he basically just doubled down on that and said that that's the difference between those guys and our guys is recruiting. And we got to get more of those guys is basically the sentiment there. So um, I guess, first of all, is, you know, when he mentioned that, what, what did you think? And, you know, also kind of, where does that take us? Where does that lead us? Yeah. I mean, we're right now a good team that can play great at times when the game plan or the matchups or whatever other factor is, is kind of giving us a, a tailwind and we're a good team who can look terrible when those things are flipped and we're playing an elite team. Um, I think we're two steps from being a Georgia, Ohio state and Oregon, you know, pick your poison there. Um, Next, we want to be a great team and a great team would be in this game. Maybe wouldn't win it regularly, but would be in this game and not get beat 56 to seven. An elite team would be able to contend and win games like this. Make no mistake, Ohio State is a national championship caliber team. If you want to beat Ohio State, you have to be able to beat national championship caliber teams. That means you're in the game against Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, all those teams we mentioned. Um, And, you know, Mel Tucker's comment on needing guys who can win one-on-one matchups is telling because if you want to be the type of team who could expect legitimately to win a game like this, You have to be able to trust every guy on the field to be better than the one across from him. Mark D'Antonio was great at scheming two and three star guys to play a lot better than they would in a, any given program. And the, the way that they played, especially on the defensive side, the team defense, it was really good at maybe making up for some individual deficits and athleticism, but um, it only takes you so far. I want to cut for a second. Like there were some, I think, offensive talent that was lacking. Those defensive teams were led by NFL guys. Like the, sure. some of those defenses were legit. I mean, two first round corners. You had, uh, you know, high drafted pass rushers, drafted linebackers, drafted safeties. Like they, there were NFL guys on the defense, the offensive side of the ball. There wasn't a whole lot besides the offensive line, uh, but the defenses were. We had some dudes, man. Yeah, I mean, you look at how we won that 2015 game in Columbus. Trey Waynes was lined up on their best wide receiver. Trey Waynes could have held up in in the game on Saturday. We don't have anybody near 
that talent level on the roster right now. And that's no discredit to the effort that the guys are putting in, but you know, you saw Chester Kimbrough basically just getting <laughs> burned just over cooked, and over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there was, was the one clip play, of, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. Garrett Wilson going deep and some, somebody from PFF, he, he tweeted about it because you see him beat him off the line of scrimmage and, and Brian Hartline, the Ohio state receivers coach, he even retweeted it. Like, he goes to to swat the hands in the middle of the route, which is perfectly legal. And that's what they teach you to do, because at a certain point in the route, when you're going to break, you're not pushing off, but you're 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 knocking down the hands so that you can get a, a step of separation. The hands weren't even there to knock down like he he went and swiped at air. He's like, whoa, that guy's this far away from me. And then immediately he just puts up his hand like calling for the ball. He's like, oh, shit. I'm open. <laughs> just they tossing the ball for a 60 yard touchdown. <laughs> yeah, it was it's tough. And and you have to be able to get guys out there who who you can trust in situations like that. Um the challenge in this game is that it didn't really feel like the coordinators were trying to scheme our talent gaps away at all. They were basically like, we're gonna run the type of game that we would like to win in three years we're going to run that game plan and see where we're at and it was pretty clear we were not there um but yeah i mean first and foremost you got to fill the talent gaps i texted you i think after the press conference and said something along the lines of that it's a bold approach to come out and say basically our guys aren't good enough uh, when you got a locker room of guys who are looking at you for leadership in the middle of the season and to come out and say, basically, we're doing the best we can, but some of our guys stink compared to elite <laughs> competition. And on one hand, it certainly lights a fire. It says, listen, we're going to go out and we're going to get dudes who are going to challenge you day one for your job. On the other hand, this team was down bad after this game. Make no mistake, that locker room had to be a really depressing place to be after that game. And Mel Tucker's coming out basically saying like, he's well, salt in the wound. Yeah. We trust our scheme. We trust our system. We just don't have the right guys right now. And in the middle of the season, that's it's risky yeah. to, to put out that kind of messaging. I, I, I think it makes sense, you know, when you're maybe the press conference after your bowl game and you're looking at, you know, what's, what's the priority for this off season? Well, we got to fill some talent gaps to do it right after your team got beat 56 to seven, not saying it's a bad approach. Mel Tucker's the, the football coach here. I'm just a guy on a podcast, but I think it'd be risky. I think you certainly want your guys to respond to that messaging and, and take a step up and, and say, okay, yeah, if coach wants to see that I got to do better. But at the same time, I don't know what you thought of it. I think it's an, it's a risky approach to say, you know, those guys just, they, they fought hard, but they're just not good enough football players. Yeah, no, I, I, to a certain extent, I, I agree with it. The thing for me is that the, it's basically what he's been saying the whole time. You know, if, if you read between the lines a little bit, it's, it's been that from day one, it's, we need to get better players in here. We need to, we need to recruit elite talent. We need to recruit better athletes. It, and he doesn't say it up to this point. He hasn't said it directly in the way of we need to get better athletes and, and better this, but he, he, you read between the lines a little bit. It's, you know, we need to recruit elite level athletes. We need to recruit this. We need to recruit this, which is basically saying that we don't have this and we need to go get it. 
Um, this is definitely the most direct he's been on that front. And so to that point, yeah, it's, it's probably tough if you're a sophomore junior linebacker, you know, if, if you're a junior linebacker on the team, who's, who's second in the depth chart right now, if you're a junior, you know, wide receiver, who's been working your butt off trying to get playing time, uh, hearing that is certainly going to alarm you. And, you know, I guess that's tough. And, you know, we saw some guys leave through the portal last year. Maybe we see some more leave through the portal this year because of that messaging, because they're just sick of hearing that they're not good enough because they're sick of hearing that, you know, the focus is on recruiting and not necessarily on the active roster. Um, but there, I mean, it's, I, I just pulled up the 24 seven team talent composite and it's, you know, you, you look at everybody on the current roster of the team and it brings it back to their high school profile. How many five stars do you have? How many four stars do you have? And, and so on. What was their ranking? Yada, yada, yada. And I've talked about many times and I, I still believe this very personally to this day that recruiting rankings to a certain extent just don't matter because sometimes there are thousands, thousands of high school players coming out every year and it's impossible to peg all of them, right? Kenneth Walker was a lowly ranked recruit coming out of wherever and he ended up at Wake Forest who finally gave him a scholarship offer. Darquez Denard, we can list off hundreds of examples and it's, it's impossible for the recruiting services and whatever to hit on all of them. But when you go through this list of the most talented teams, according to these four or five star rankings and their recruiting profiles, number one, Alabama, number two, Georgia, number three, Ohio state, number four, Clemson, number five, LSU, number six, Oklahoma, number seven, Florida, number eight, Texas A&M, number nine, Oregon, number 10, USC. And obviously we can point at a couple of those and saying, look, Recruiting doesn't always win you championships. Recruiting doesn't always win you games, and it doesn't. And that's where you need good coaches. That's where you need everything else that comes into it. But you go back to when you're competing for national championships, all of those programs are competing for national championships, whether it's this year or whether it was five years ago. They have the talent to do it on a year-to-year basis. Everyone after that list you have Notre Dame, who you could argue, you know, they've been in the playoff, but you saw the difference between them and Alabama just last year. Miami, Auburn, Michigan, Penn State, Washington, North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida State, Wisconsin, uh, Nebraska, UCLA. These are all that, that second tier of teams, and it's a very clear distinction. And it's kind of what I mentioned with Ohio State. It's when those teams at the top, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Florida. We've seen all of them with our own eyes. If you're living long enough, Oregon, USC, if you've been living and watching college football for more than the last, like just couple of years, you've seen all of those teams have their own sort of dynasty, their own sort of like multiple national championship runs. And you have to have that talent to get there. And if we, if we're serious about getting there, that's, that's what you have to do. And it's not going to come immediately. We're not going to sign four or five stars next year. That's, that's just not it. Uh, but Mel Tucker understands what it takes to be a national champion. And he knows that the guys on the roster are, are fighting 
so damn hard for a nine, 10 win season and just playing their asses off and practicing their asses off and lifting weights and in the film room and everything that goes into being a good college football player, they are doing all of it and more, but they're not going to win a national championship. And he wants to win a national championship. And again, we go back to, is it realistic? I have no idea. We are baffled beyond belief by the fact that we have invested in the football program like this. Uh, But if that's the goal, that's what you got to do. And it's a really cutthroat, business once you get into you know that territory but it's um yeah he's he definitely pointed to it much more directly and much more strongly on saturday than he has in the past that's for sure yeah and i mean i can poke holes in his messaging but i think i also said to you that it's true you know he's right Uh, we're a good team right now made up of good players got a couple great players maybe one maybe yeah, probably just one elite player in Kenneth Walker. Um, and they're playing, you know, they're getting everything they can out of these players. You, we, we've talked about the transformation we've made in the nutrition and the strength and conditioning. And, you know, even just the way that they practice They're, you know, they're squeezing that sponge and getting everything they can out of these guys. And, and still the kind of the peak performance is, is a great performance, but even still, I don't think we've seen an elite performance yet this season from this team um, and the way to, to get more out of it and get more great and elite performances is to get those great players and not just those good players. And obviously that's a priority. It's easier said than done. You've got 130 FBS teams competing over the same talent pool with similar resources and similar information at their fingertips in terms of where the good players are coming from in high school. And unfortunately, college football, unlike pro sports, is a positive feedback loop for talent to go to the best programs. You don't have a draft that gives the worst teams the best opportunity to draft players. You don't have a salary cap. You don't have anything limiting where the talent goes. And talent inherently wants to go to the places that get them to the NFL that win national championships and that have great resources around their football programs and players. So it's a really, really steep uphill battle to break into that upper echelon of college football teams. So it takes a lot. I mean, Clemson, I think, is the really only exception to kind of the good old boys club of of teams at the top. You mentioned the top 10 in recruiting. I mean, all those teams have been good for (laughs) probably longer than our parents have been alive. You look at, you know, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Notre Dames, the Floridas, like these are the teams that have always been good. They have always been the zeitgeist of college football. And nobody, with the exception of maybe Clemson, has broken into and stayed in that class of teams in our life. It's, it's an incredibly challenging thing to do, but as you mentioned, Michigan state's trying, they're, they're making their run. You look at, you know, what the Illiches did with the tigers in the mid two thousands and poured money into them to make their run. This is Michigan state's moment. They've said, we think we found the guy who can take us there. We're going to put everything we can behind it. And, uh, and they're going to try. And like I said, there's not many teams who have been able to accomplish it. I love what Mel Tucker's doing, but it's an extremely steep uphill battle and and it does start with a increase in talent and and that's what we're going to try to do and, and we've and we've mentioned how nearly impossible it is to go from 
good to great to elite in college football. Like it's again, not easy, but it's, it's very possible to go from pretty good to good, right. To go from like, if, if you're Rutgers and going from bad to pretty good, you can do that. You just hire the right coach, right? You can go from pretty good to good. Look at Kentucky. They were always pretty good. They were never a complete doormat. And now they're legitimately good. They, they made the right coach, uh, coaching higher. They've got a couple more recruits and, and now they're good. But going from good to great is so hard because there is such a big gap between Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and everybody else. And we have seen, though, in our lifetime, we have seen two examples to show that it is possible in Oregon and Clemson. And, and those are the two teams I think that, that you can point to and saying, okay, is it is so damn hard to do it, but it's possible. And Clemson did it with the right coaching hire and it coincided with two historic quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, who led them to wins and wins and wins. And that, you know, that just fed into the recruiting and they had a lot more money pouring into the program because of those wins. And so they did it in a way where it was like, they got the right coach and they got the right quarterback at the same time. And it was just perfectly in sync. And it, it kind of took them into that stratosphere and Oregon even still, even still Clemson has taken a step back and it's right. yet to be seen if they can stay there. I mean, right. they, they've been there for a long time. They've had a good run. One of the best runs of maybe one of those not traditionally elite teams we've ever seen, at least in our lifetime. But it's not out of the question that in five years, we're going to be looking back as at Clemson as it has been, who's in the middle of the ACC again. Yep. No, a hundred percent. And, and like I said, it, it came back to like, they had two elite, tra- you know, like historic quarterbacks. And, and that was a huge part of what got them there. Oregon did it in much of the same way that we're trying to do it in basically buying it. And, and Phil Knight went to Oregon in, there was a story I was reading about this in the late nineties. And he went to the head coach. It was after like a, a just getting demolished by USC. I think it was. And Phil Knight just went to the, the football coach and was like, all right, I'm sick of this. What do you need? Tell me, do you need facilities? Do you need, plane trips for recruits do you need a new stadium like what do you need i'll buy it i'm sick of this i want this team to be winning i'll do it for you and that's kind of what we're seeing right now with michigan state is more of that model of trying to buy your way to the top which like you mentioned you know college football it's not like the nfl where the bad teams get the good draft picks it's the best teams get the more talent and more talent and more talent and it just it it uh, what's the word I'm looking for it like uh it expedites it whatever but um that's that's the Oregon model is is how I'll kind of classify it is you buy the better facilities you buy the um you know better talent basically at, at the end of the day because you you could you can buy recruits without directly buying recruits and that's what we're trying to do so and Will even still, I don't know, with, <laughs> in terms of the, uh, you know, speaking to how hard it is to move up into those upper echelons, even Oregon, who feels like a powerhouse, they 
have made two national championships and lost both of them. Yep. I mean, they, they're an exceptionally good football team and they have hardly sniffed the opportunity to win a national championship. That is how hard it is to infiltrate that inner circle of college football elites. Yep. And again, like, you know, we saw with our own two eyes and everybody on that field saw with their own two eyes, what elite looks like on Saturday. And so can that be the, the launching point? Can that be the, the thing that we look back on 10 years from now when we're competing for a national title and we say, you know what, it, it kind of comes back to that moment. That was the moment where, you know, everything changed, where we realized how far behind we were and, and everything got kicked into gear after that. Like this could be one of those moments that, you know, when you look at the, the, you know, you remember back like the old, um, I don't know if they, I honestly don't even know if they still do this, but I, I have the DVDs and VHS even from like when the Red Wings won the Stanley cup and they have like the VHS video where they go through the whole story of the season, right? Like when Michigan state wins a national championship in 2034, is this where they start the video of like, this is where it all started with Mel Tucker, right? Like it could be, it could also be a sign of bad things to come. <laughs> like we're trying to paint this optimistically, but it could be the side where it's just like, well, that's never going to happen. And it never happens. It's a very, very, very strong reality uh, possibility. So. Yeah. There's a lot of teams who have, reached this ceiling that we first encountered this past Saturday, this ceiling of, if you want to be an elite team, you have to win. You have to beat elite teams. I mean, you have yeah. to beat the best to be the best. It's like a cliche, it but it's in the true. Last 20 years, right? Even Michigan. I mean, they put everything in place behind Jim Harbaugh to compete for a national championship. And they have run up against this same ceiling over and over. And there are plenty of, of examples of teams that have reached this roof of great trying to get into elite and they knock their head against the ceiling and can't figure out how to break through it it is the hardest in the sport you mentioned how it's easier when you're you know maybe a worse team to move up you know a rung on the ladder it is the hardest ceiling to break through it's the last one and it is just because you got to it does not at all guarantee that you're going to figure out how to break through it. So that's the next task for this, for this coaching staff. And, you know, we mentioned we're putting the resources behind the program now, and the expectation is going to be that we figure out how to break through that ceiling. And uh, it's a tall. Yeah. So I don't know not really much more to talk about. We'll, we'll start to preview and, and we'll dig into this Penn state matchup looking ahead next week. This is a game. I want bad, man. I want 10 wins bad, and, and we're knocking on the door of that. So Penn State's on deck. Wednesday, we will have the preview up for you, and so make sure you subscribed to the Standing Room Spartans podcast if you're not already. We appreciate all the support to this point, and we hope, we hope that this Monday brings a little bit more just perspective and clarity for everybody. It was a tough loss, man. It was a brutal loss, and it was one that that had us reeling for a couple days here. But it's a new week. There's another game on deck on Saturday. It's a home game. I don't know how many people will be there. I really hope that if if you have the opportunity to, if you're in the area, you know, I know a lot of you are students. You're going back to 
visit your family back in, you know, out of state or whatever. I get it. But if you're in the area, you have the opportunity to go, go support this team on senior day. There are a lot of really impactful seniors that mean a lot to this program. And we've seen over the years, like we've seen some bad senior day turnouts and that sucks. And, and I really hope that doesn't happen here because this, this senior class, man, they've been through the ringer and, and they deserve it. So um, we'll get to all of that though on Wednesday, uh, previewing this Penn State game. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, it brings you. It's it's a little bit cathartic, I think, for us. So I think I hope uh, as you're listening, it is for you too. Uh, coming off of well, probably the worst loss of Michigan State in my lifetime. So until Wednesday, I hope you all have a great start to the week. Go green, Go white. Take care, folks.